You're listening to a series from the Book of Mark. Come and see, believe, and follow the Messiah from the Axis Church in downtown Nashville. For more audio and other resources, visit theaxischurch.org. Welcome and good morning. I'm Jeremy, not Jared, the younger brother of Jeremy. Um, and I'm glad to be here with you, glad that you're here to, together with us. Uh, go ahead and turn to the Gospel of St. Mark. This is our 51st week in our study through this particular book that we've entitled Seeing, Believing, and Following the Messiah. If you don't yet have one, we do have Mark journals for you. They're on the back table there. Uh, Tim can hook you up there at the back table. Gordon's back there as well. But it's just a copy of the Gospel of Mark with note-taking journal pages, every other page of Scripture. So they're there for you free. You can hop up and grab one and begin following along with us there. We took a break back in November for four weeks of Advent. Um, Then we took um, a break for our vision series for 2023, Let There Be Light. And now we're back in this wonderful book of St. Mark. My wife and I, Jill, um, we've spent the uh, last couple days on a writing retreat preparing for our marriage conference, our very first marriage conference. Uh, It's gonna be uh, February 10th and 11th. We're both very excited to have this time together with the married couples of the Axis and those that you invite. Uh, If you haven't registered yet, you can do that on the Axis Church app. If you have questions about the app, Pastor Derek Hazlett would love to show you the app and uh, how to navigate that app. Anyway, so some context for refreshment for all of us. If you're new, you need context. If you were with us in November, we need context because little bits happened uh, since November 20th. Uh, so Jesus is, is on his way. He's making his way into Jerusalem. And this trip into Jerusalem will be his final trip into Jerusalem uh, until his next one, which is what we long for and wait for when he comes back uh, to make all things new. He's entering to the city. Um, he's gonna be worshiped. He's gonna be adored. He's gonna be celebrated. But then in just a, a matter of a couple days, he'll be betrayed by one of his closest friends. He'll be arrested unjustly. He'll be condemned ultimately for us in our place, and he'll be killed on a cross, a Roman cross. So he enters into Jerusalem. There's this radical worship about who he is. It's the triumphal entry. Maybe you've heard it phrased that way. The triumphal entry of Jesus. They're honoring him. Uh, They're honoring him and celebrating him as their Messiah, as the chosen one, much like King Solomon coming in on a donkey into the city. They're celebrating their new king coming into the city. But they're celebrating their Messiah, not the one who would take away the sin of the world, but their Messiah, the one who would take Rome away from Jerusalem. Rome was occupying and oppressing Jerusalem and the Jews. And they wanted the king to come, the Messiah to come, to take away that rule and to bring them peace and condemn their enemies. So they didn't have in mind an eternal king of all kings, defeater of death and sin. They had king of the Jews and they had one who would get rid of any oppression um, to the Jewish people, not a suffering servant. And that's who Jesus is. Through all the amazing things that Jesus did, his healings, his teaching, his miracles, it's got the entire region on edge. This is Passover week to add that. It's a lot of people gathering around the the holy city and and all signs are pointing as you just look at Jesus and how he interacts and how he does things and the things that you hear about him. Man, it does seem like he is the Messiah, the one that everybody has been pointing towards, that the Old Testament's been written about. 
It's like, man, it really does seem like he's the guy. Well, later on this day, as he goes from Bethany into Jerusalem, he checks out the temple. And you can see this in chapter 11 and verse 11. He entered into Jerusalem and went into the temple. This was in the evening. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went back out to Bethany with the 12 disciples. And now we come to our passage, which we partially covered on November 20th of last year, knowing that we would kind of pick up part two of this passage because Mark has it kind of broken down with like this fig tree thing and then clearing the temple and the fig tree thing. So it's kind of sandwiched in. So we looked at sort of the middle part and now we're gonna look at, we looked at the meat and the cheese. We're gonna look at the bread now. We're gonna look at the fig, fig stuff, all right? So uh, look in Mark, fig stuff. Look at Mark chapter 11, uh, starting in verse 12. On the following day, so they went to Bethany. On the following day, when they came back from Bethany to Jerusalem, Jesus was hungry. Again, he's fully God, fully man. As God, he never had a need for anything. As man, as he stepped into human flesh, he had need. He was hungry. As God, he was never hungry. As man, he was hungry. Jesus is the God-man Messiah, truly the one we're looking for. Verse 13, and seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, all right, so it was, it was healthy. He went to see if he could find anything on the fig tree. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves for it was not the season for figs. So he's gonna do something here with this fig tree knowing that it, it wasn't supposed to be bearing fruit yet, but he's using this as an example, as a teaching lesson for the disciples. He said to this tree, verse 14, may no one ever eat from you again. And his disciples heard it. Okay, this is very interesting. The fig tree is symbolic for the nation of Israel, God's people, all throughout the Old Testament and New Testament. When you see fig tree, there's some correlation somewhere to, to Israel, okay, to the Jewish people. And then this incident takes place in verse 15. And they came to Jerusalem and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats on those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And I was studying this and I read one historian um, who, who wrote about the temple being a shortcut through the city. And so they were making the temple a hallway of just commerce, of trying to cut through the city a little bit quicker, just run through the middle of the temple, just run through the holy place. Um, so that's why it's interesting in verse 16, he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. He shut the hallway down, right? And he doesn't just send people out of the temple. And there's more, you can listen back to our sermon in November on this. There's a lot going on here. Jesus didn't just run people away. He set them down like a boss and taught them after he had their attention. The authority of Jesus, the power of Jesus, yet the grace and charm of Jesus. Unparalleled, nobody like Jesus. As John in John chapter one said, he's full of grace and full of truth so dynamic to be full of grace, full of truth. Not 51, 49, 100 and 100, constantly, all the time. So complex, so dynamic, so kind, so strong. This is Jesus. He was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you've made it a hideout for bandits and robbers and den of thieves. And the chief priests, like the high priests, and the scribes, the experts in the, in the Jewish law, they heard it, and they were trying to find out a way to kill Jesus, to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. 
not just wowed, but they were receiving his teaching. They were open to his teaching. They were listening, hanging on every word of his teaching. They were responding to Jesus. And when evening came, they went out of the city. So he probably taught there for some time. And they passed by in the morning and they saw the fig tree withered away at its roots coming back into the city. Remember, it was green and in leaf, and now this tree is dead through and through, all the way down to the roots. It's crispy, right? This is dry, withered to the roots. And Peter remembered. Remember it said the disciples heard it, the curse? Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed is withered. How did this happen so fast? Do you see this? And Jesus answered, have faith in God. Have faith in God. That's the message of Christ over and over and over again. This is the message that Jesus has spoken so many times. Have faith in God and do not doubt. Have faith, believe, trust, follow. And then he unpacks what this faith looks like. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will come to pass, it'll be done for him. One who does not doubt in his heart, does not disbelieve, but believes, will say to this mountain, this temple mount, like the pro prophetic nature of Christ's words here is profound. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, faith, believe, faith, trust, whatever you ask in prayer, believe, have faith that you've received it and it'll be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. Have faith and forgive. That's the nature of our prayers. Laced in forgiveness to others, laced in faith towards God. Horizontally, forgiving. Vertically, having faith. And if you have anything against anyone, anything against anyone, forgive so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you of your trespasses and sins. Have faith and forgive. Now there's a lot going on here. First, let's look at the fig tree. So it's not that Jesus in his irritation is just killing a healthy tree. Jesus is simply giving a, a sad assessment of the tree's actual and true condition. A fig tree is to give figs, not just leaves. Again, the fig tree is symbolic of the Jews and the Jewish leaders have made the temple into this carnival where the proceeds of all that goes on there goes into the chief priest's pockets and the Pharisees' pockets and the scribes' pockets. And Jesus curses this fig tree. This isn't foul language cursing. This isn't a magic spell cursing. This cursing is symbolic of God's judgment on Israel, on the people of God. It's the ultimate cursing and blessing, okay? This is why I believe the story of the clearing of the temple sandwiched by Mark between these two halves of the story of the fig tree, it's, it's clear that it's making a very solemn warning to the people of Israel. You don't fear God. You don't have faith in him. You're carrying around like he doesn't even exist. He doesn't even care about his temple anymore. You've turned this into a den of thieves. You have no faith in God. So you've got the appearance of it. You're, you're active in the temple like a, like a fig tree with leaves, but there's no fruit. There's nothing of substance. There's nothing of faith. It's outward religious performance, but inside you're a den of thieves. You're rotten to the core. You're a whitewashed tomb. 
because of their lack of faith, for their blatant, scandalous practice of leveraging the temple for their own purposes, not the purposes of God. God is going to judge the Jews, the Jewish leaders here in this passage. Now next, Jesus deals with faithless praying or faithful praying. Mark shows us how Jesus used the withering of this fig tree as an example of the results of believing prayer, effective prayer, heartfelt prayers, strong in the faith type of praying, a life that is built in faith in God. But Mark also shows us that we can't just simply pray for anything that we like. You see, Jesus had in mind that we must be praying, thinking God's thoughts after him, pursuing God's will as we pray, not just our own, all right? It's learning to pray in accord and in line with his will, with his purpose. And that sort of prayer, that sort of praying, if asked in faith and believing, will be answered. It's praying that God's will be done. It's like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He exemplified this perfectly. He put his ask on the table. He put his desire on the table. And then before he backs up and away, he says, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done, right? It's praying in line of Christ. Now we can only move the mountains that God wants us to move, not just those that we want to move. And moving mountains, this was a term and a phrase used by the Pharisees to describe overcoming like seemingly impossible difficulties. This isn't to be taken literal that you can make Everest go into the Atlantic, right? This is simply describing what prayer can actually do. If we pray in this way, we can give thanks for the result before it even happens because it's sure, it's in the purpose and will of God. Now, my papa uh, passed away uh, three years ago and um, he's like my hero, right? Like Papa Rose, bigger than life. He's legendary, right, to me. And if you knew him, he'd be legendary to you too. Um, <clears throat> he hit a, uh, what was it, a 595 foot home run, um, pretty cool. And according to the Charlotte Observer anyway, I wasn't around, it was in 1951. But um, anyway, he would always pray a prayer over me whenever we'd be on the phone. And, um, and at one point, I believe in 2010, I asked him to write this down for me. And it, I, as, every time I read this passage, I think of my papa. Um, and I encourage you to live in such a way with others that you, when people think of you, they think of scripture. Because um, that's how it is with my papa. Anyway, this is uh, February 17th, 2010, because I knew that he was going to be losing his handwriting ability and all this. And I asked him to write this down for me uh, because this is what he would say thousands of times before I would leave him or hang up the phone. Um, <clears throat> Lord, please give me faith to believe everything that you want me to believe. Give me faith to believe everything that you want me to believe. And give me faith to move any mountains that get in the way of this. But most of all, Lord, Give me faith to accept things that happen that I just don't understand and still know that you love me and you always do what is best for me. I know this because you died for me. Thank you for hearing my prayer, Lord. Thank you for loving me and thank you, Lord, for saving me. That encapsulates, I believe, what Christ's teaching here is about faith, forgiveness, asking for faith, to believe even when life doesn't make sense, even when that mountain doesn't get moved. And you really, you, you felt like you were praying the right thing. Lord, give me faith to believe that you're good, even when what I desire doesn't seem to be happening. Give me faith to still 
believe you. Well, there's also one other condition for this effectual prayer that Jesus gives us. We must be freely forgiving of others as God forgives us. If we do not do this, how could we be praying in Jesus' name? Because this is how he would pray. This is what he would do, right? So how has Jesus, how has God forgiven us? If we're to forgive as God's forgiven us, how has God forgiven us? Well, we read it this morning in our confession, assurance of pardon. In Psalm 103 in verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. How does this removing of transgressions take place? The gospel, through the finished work of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his return. Ephesians, Paul writes about this in Ephesians chapter one. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. For example, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved, in Christ. In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according not to our work, but according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us liberally in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite, reconcile all things in him, things in heaven and things on the earth. In Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Christ, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were then sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. He has fully forgiven us of our trespasses. So how are we to live? Freely, fully forgiving one another and having faith in God and walking in communion with him in prayer. Having faith and not doubt and praying our doubts asking him to increase our faith. Man, this is a really powerful moment in the life of Jesus and his disciples. He's powerful enough to create, yet here he's powerful enough to stop creation from creating as he curses this fig tree. He curses it, he judges it because it's no longer bearing fruit. And the main point of Christ here is twofold. One, we must have faith in God. And two, we must see him as the one we've been waiting for who has no limits. He has authority. He speaks to creation and it obeys. He's got no limits. He is the king and Messiah that creation has been waiting on and we can trust him. He's safe to have faith in. And in John 15, he tells his followers that with him, they will bear much fruit, but without him, they can do nothing, nothing. They're in the temple, they're busy doing religious things, but they're doing it with no faith, they're doing it without God. They're carrying on in the flesh in their own way. 
Now, as I mentioned earlier, the, the fig tree is symbolic of Israel, but here it's also symbolic and represents us without Jesus. With, apart from Christ, it's impossible for us to bear fruit. Apart from Christ, we're cursed. Apart from Christ, we're judged and we're alone and we're condemned to death forever. Yet with Jesus, all things are possible. With Jesus, we can and we will bear fruit and we will be blessed and not cursed. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. Here, we have a promise that as we submit to the authority of Jesus, that we can and we will see him do amazing things that will make the withering, the quick withering of a fig tree look easy. But do you see Jesus this way? Is he this powerful? Do you have faith in him? Are you trusting in him to powerfully move in your life, in your story? Or do you place limits on him? Limits of his power, limits of his concern. Are there things that you feel like are impossible for him to change? Are there things that you feel like there's no way that he cares about? So it falls outside of his concern. He might be powerful enough to do it. He just doesn't care about it. Or maybe he cares about it, but you don't think he can do anything about it. Well, first Peter chapter five and verse seven says to cast all our anxieties on him because he cares for us. All anxieties, anything that troubles you, anything, not just the spiritual things, anything. Cast all your concerns, your anxieties, your fears, your troubles, all of them on him. And it, he tells us in that same verse, because he cares. He does care. Don't let the enemy tell you that he doesn't care because it's not spiritual or theological in nature. If, it care, if you care about it, he cares about it. And he wants you to trust him with it. This is what the Christian does. This is how we press on. Not just the things that we personally feel like are weighty enough and big enough for him to care about, but all things. Ask the Holy Spirit for childlike faith to believe all that the Bible says to be true about Jesus. Ask the Holy Spirit to teach your heart that all things are possible. That, that nothing is truly impossible. Ask God to, to help you look at Jesus like a little kid looks at their favorite superhero. No limits. The most powerful, the fastest, the most caring. Look at him like a little kid looks at Superman. He's the greatest superhero, by the way. That or Rocky. So throughout, <laughs> throughout all his ministry, throughout all his teaching, Jesus is constantly pushing his followers to lift their eyes, to lift their focus up off their situation onto God, to have faith in him. He says to have faith in him and there is our safest place. This is where we have the most joy is looking to God by faith and we gather strength, we gather power, we gather peace of mind and heart and poise as we face whatever comes our way. But we look for these things, for peace and for control and power. We look for these things in so many different places so often. Yet today, we have yet another reminder from Jesus to find these things in the only place they can ultimately and fully be found, and that's in God. And the strength that comes from him is not in your own ability to hold the line and dig deep and give it everything you got and white knuckle your way to the finish line. This strength comes only from God. 
This strength to endure accompanies the Holy Spirit of God as he makes his way into the heart of the new Christian. When God makes you alive, when he gives you life, his spirit comes to you and guarantees you this strength, this power, this poise, and this peace. The needed strength comes from God as he tells us in Isaiah 41.10, fear not for I am with you. Don't be dismayed or troubled or overwhelmed. I'm your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. He's doing all this. What are we to do? Believe him. Believe him. Also in Exodus 15, the Lord is my strength. He's my song. He's become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. This strength comes from faith in God as described in Psalm 46. God is our refuge. God is our strength. God is a very present help in trouble. Not just a present help. He's a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear Though the earth gives way, and this is interesting considering what Jesus says in Mark 11, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, he's still our refuge and strength and help in trouble. Isaiah 43, but now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. And when you pass through the waters, I'm gonna be with you. And through the rivers, they'll not overwhelm you. And when you walk through fire, you shall not be burned and the flame will not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your savior. Friend, this is our strength. Here is the hope of our endurance. Here's how we make it. Here's the source even of our faith. But is Christ your faith? Is he your trust? Is he your hope? Is Jesus and the promises of God something that strengthen you, that fortify you to endure? Are his promises how you're facing tomorrow and thinking about the future? Friend, don't be tricked. This is where your peace and comfort's found. In the midst of this damned world falling apart at the seams, here's where you find stability and poise to face whatever it is that the world's throwing at us. Trust in him. Don't be fooled, don't be tricked. Trust and believe Jesus Christ as your Lord, as your God, as your savior. And you pray to him, you learn to talk to him. You learn to open up your heart to all things that concern you. You ask him for faith to believe him, to believe that he cares, to believe that he's powerful enough to help you through anything. And it's not the quantity of your faith that counts, it's the quality. What's the quality that we're told to have? The quality of our faith is to be childlike. Childlike, simple, almost uneducated. Simple, I believe anything's possible type of faith. An imaginative faith, a faith and trust that sees in color and not just black and white. It's animated film, not just comic book. It's action, it's real. It's childlike. And it's not the strength of our faith as much as it's the object our faith is resting in. Our faith rests not in our ability to hold to God, but our faith rests in God's ability to hold on to us. You're not hanging by a thread. He's hanging on to you with his right hand. 
And though it might feel hopeless, in Christ, you've never been safer. You've never been more secure. Here's how we respond. James 4, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. What you're responsible to do is draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. It's a promise. What you're to do is cleanse your hands because we're sinners. We're to purify our hearts because they're double-minded. They're not single-minded. They're not purified. Purity of heart is singularity of heart. And yet we're double-minded. We're to humble ourselves before the Lord and trust him to exalt us. This submitting, resisting, drawing near, cleansing, purifying, humbling, all this is faith. All this comes from faith. And during these days, now more than ever, we must hope in the Lord. We must trust in Jesus and we must have faith in God. Have faith in God and pray through your doubts and forgive others. And now we're gonna share in communion together. We're remembering now the object that our faith rests upon. We remind ourselves of Jesus Christ and his finished work. During this time, I ask that you pray. I ask that you work through forgiveness. I ask that you confess your sin, that you repent, that you turn to Jesus to find what you thought could be found elsewhere. And that you think, that you don't just drift through this time that you stop and you think and you ponder and you meditate, you dwell, you pray, you journal, that you consider what you've heard, you pray according to what you thought the Lord is doing and you respond as the Lord is leading you, that you be obedient to his direction, very soft and tender to who he is. Let's pray together. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. And we proclaim the mystery of the faith that Christ has lived, he's died, he's risen, he's ascended, and he's coming again. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now may the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be on this time of communion and remain with us always, even through the end of the age. Amen. Christian, when you're ready, you can come and take. We're gonna have servers on either side of the stage, and we've got self-serve stations in the back two corners. When you're ready, after you've done a little bit of thinking and praying, pondering and worshiping, come celebrate the finished work of Christ. Have faith in God. You can come when you're ready. You've been listening to a sermon from the Axis Church in downtown Nashville. For more information, please visit theaxischurch.org.